Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty, ever-living God, we humbly implore your majesty that just as your only begotten Son was presented on this day in the temple, in the substance of our flesh, so by your grace we may be presented to you with minds made pure through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today, indeed, the 2nd February, today is the presentation of the Lord. It's a movable feast. What does that mean? It means that it's not always the 2nd of February. Um, actually, it does mean that, but the day moves because Christmas moves. So this day is 40 days after Christmas. And so it can be a Thursday, it can be a Monday, it can be whatever, but it is always the second. And today is the day where the crash in St. Peter's Square in Rome is taken down. It, it stays up to this day. And it's a reminder to us that Christmas... The Christmas events about Jesus uh, in the Gospel of Luke come to an end today, 40 days after Christmas, with the celebration of the presentation of Jesus in the temple. So what is this presentation? Why, why do we have it? Well, it really points back to the Old Testament, and it has two purposes. The first purpose is the redemption of the firstborn son, and the second purpose is the purification of the mother. So. The firstborn uh, belongs to what God commanded the Israelites to do in the book of Exodus, that the firstborn would be uh, consecrated to God, firstborn son, uh, and with a payment of a young lamb or two pigeons or two turtle doves. And the purification of the mother in Jewish law was a purification from ritual uncleanness after childbirth. Now, of course... Our Lady did not need this purification because she was a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Jesus. But she did it to fulfill the law. You know, this is sort of like Jesus getting baptized. He didn't need to be baptized by John, but he did it so there would be a precedent sent, a set for all of us who would come after him who do need to be baptized. Uh, so this ritual purification happens uh, on this day as well. Uh, the, this purification typically would take place in the local synagogue, but for some reason, Mary and Joseph decided it should take place up in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, of course, I would say they were led by the Holy Spirit, because if ever there was a son to be consecrated to God the Father, it would be this son, who is the eternal son of God. And so they go up to the temple where all the events that take place have been uh, waiting to, to occur. We They encounter Anna and Simeon, the prophetess, and uh, the very holy and righteous Simeon, who was told he would see the baby uh, savior before he died. And so 
um, that was through the Holy Spirit as well. So this is the day that fulfills that. Now, this is Jesus's first visit of many to the temple. And, you know, in uh, 12 years, he'll be back there teaching the rabbis and the scribes and the Pharisees. The 12-year-old boy will be teaching the elders of the church because he is, of course, the word made flesh. And um, and that's the famous story of, of um, Joseph and Mary losing him and being found at the temple. So in the first reading today, it's from the book of Malachi. And it says in that book, suddenly there will come to the temple the Lord whom you seek. And it goes on to say that when the Lord enters the temple, he will purify and refine the Levites so that they will offer a pure sacrifice to the Lord. And then the sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord. So what are they talking about here? Well, the, in the Old Testament, the Jews had no way to expiate sins. So sort of like a placeholder was they would go to the temple and they would offer uh, a lamb or a dove or something to be sacrificed to the God the Father in either thanksgiving, the, like for the birth of a child, or in reparation for something, for sins of the people. But of course, this doesn't actually remove sin. <clears throat> God can remove sin at his own will, but this was just a ritual uh, that God asked them to do until the, the fullness of the expiation for sin would come through the person of Jesus Christ. So the, the Levites are the priests, uh, the priestly tribe, and they're the ones that offer the sacrifice. They're the priests. And they would be doing this for all these years, waiting for the one true sacrifice to come, the Messiah. And so today when Jesus enters the temple, this is the beginning of the fulfillment of the perfect sacrifice that would be offered on the cross. And that's the one true sacrifice that will be pleasing to the Father is the perfect obedience of his son, taking his uh, obedience all the way to death, death on a cross. The second reading is from the book of Hebrews. And that talks about, it's the only book in the Bible that talks about Jesus as being the high priest of the new covenant. And so he has fulfilled the old in his own presence. And now Jesus, by offering himself on the altar of Calvary, becomes the pure priestly sacrifice that could only please God. This is the only way that God could be pleased is by his son doing this. And so what happens is this is the end of Jewish sacrifice. The temple would be destroyed, never to be rebuilt. And the new sacrifice is the holy sacrifice of the mass, where Jesus's uh, passion, death, and resurrection are made present on the altar uh, in the church in an unbloody manner. It's made present. The same one offering he made at Calvary is made present at every Mass. So this is uh, a momentous day, you could say, that all these things are occurring and that um, the plan goes forth from this point on. Jesus is indeed the light that enlightens the Gentiles, and he's the glory of Israel. So what happens is, after Simeon receives the child, he goes into this beautiful canticle that he uh, proclaims about Jesus and about what's happening. And 
this canticle, we call it the Canticle of Simeon, uh, is prayed every single evening by all the priests and the religious around the world. Can you imagine what an honor that would be for somebody to be remembered for all of time in the liturgy? And there's, a, there's not many people that can say that. Our Lady, of course, has the Magnificat. Uh, Zachariah has a canticle that we pray at morning prayer. And then, of course, there's this that's prayed at night prayer. And this is how the, the prayer of Simeon goes. Lord, now let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. That's the prayer. What he's saying is, uh, I'm ready to die now because I have seen the Messiah and there's nothing greater I could ever behold. Uh, so you, your word's been fulfilled this day and now I'm ready. Uh, and that's a pretty, you know, imagine he got to hold, it says he held the baby in his arms. So uh, he got to hold God right in his arms. And this is a remarkable thing when we ponder it. And I'm sure many of you, as well as myself, would, would think well, that would be wonderful to hold the baby Jesus. Remember Padre Pio got to do that. Uh, he had um, a mystical experience where the baby Jesus came to him and he was carrying him down uh, the hall to the chapel. But as wonderful as that is, Simeon never got to receive Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, where Jesus literally goes into our body and we're incorporated into him physically and spiritually. So when you go to Mass and you receive Holy Communion, what is happening with you right there is greater than what happened to Simeon and Anna. It's greater. There's a deeper intimacy that happens by receiving Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament than by just holding him as a baby. And when you consider that uh, the angels don't even get to do this, so all the choirs of angels do not get to receive the Blessed Sacrament, but we do, human beings that are uh, Catholics in good standing, we get to receive Holy Communion. Um, and that reminds me, since we're talking about Catholics in good standing, the person I would say to pray for today is President Joe Biden. Yes, he's made the list again. Uh, you see, what I've learned is that there was, a, actually I saw it with my own eyes, there's a tape of uh, Mr. Biden, President Biden. He's being interviewed uh, outside, I guess he was walking somewhere, and um, one of the EWTN uh, reporters who happens to be the White House correspondent for EWTN. His name's Owen Jensen. He had this little exchange with President Biden. Uh, and he said to him, uh, Mr. President, Catholic bishops are demanding that federal ta tax dollars do not fund abortions. And the president responded, no, they're not doing that, nor is the Pope doing that. He dragged the Pope into it. Can you imagine? So what he's saying is that the bishops and the Pope are fine. They're totally okay with tax money from you and me going to fund abortions. This is a bold-faced lie. This man, I don't know if he's ill or if he's just, he lies like it's his job. I don't, I don't know if he understands this. But besides the fact that it's a lie, 
I don't know how anybody could possibly believe that the magisterium of the church is fine with funding abortions. That means they're fine with abortion in general. How could, I don't understand how he could think that. How on earth does somebody get to that point? I, I'm thinking right now of Paul speaking to the Galatians. Oh, stupid Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you, President Biden? It sounds like Jezebel is leading you around by bit and bridle by your nose. Uh, you just keep making the most ridiculous statements that are 100% false and revolting, I might add. So please pray for him today that he would come into the fullness of the truth and understand that killing babies is in fact murder and that God would never condone this, nor would his church. So enough about him. All right, so yesterday I had started uh, talking to you about another thing that's happening today is it's the Feast of Our Lady of Good Success. Uh, February 2nd is the Feast of Our Lady of Good Success. And I went quite in detail yesterday about this uh, apparition that happened about 400 years ago in Quito, Ecuador. Uh, But I didn't finish because it's just jam-packed. So... Again, this happened at the turn of the 16th century, uh, so 1594 to 1634, a 40-year period where Our Lady appeared to uh, the Mother Superior named Mother Mariana de Jesus, so Mother Mariana of Jesus. Uh, And it was so frightening to her that at one point she died but was brought back to life by Our Lady because she was so... uh, horrified by the events she saw taking place right now in this day and age. So she showed her the future. She showed her that the sacraments would be in such massive decline that hardly anybody was going to church, receiving the sacraments. Nobody was getting anointing of the sick, which we know, I know that's true. Rarely, rarely does a family call me. It's usually the hospital chaplain when they find out they're Catholic. But the families, they don't seem to know that this is an important thing. Uh, And that's the priest's fault. Nobody to blame there except the priests who are not promoting this. Um, She said that all uh, innocence would be lost. There would be an attack against children on innocence. We know that's happening. She said that Holly be a virgin left except those who go off to uh, religious communities. So it's all coming forth. We can see it all happening. Um, so I'm going to go back into this now and kind of try to get the, the last of this. So one of the, another more, very interesting thing that occurred is Our Lady asked Mother Mariana that she would have a statue made of herself. And the statue would have her holding the baby Jesus in one hand and a miter, uh, not a miter, uh, a crozier in the other. Uh, and this is what she said. So for these reasons, please make the statue first so that men in the future might realize how powerful I am in placating divine justice and obtaining mercy and pardon for every sinner who comes to me with a contrite heart. For I am the mother of mercy and in me there is only goodness and love. Well, that we know that, but it's good to hear that every now and then too. She's the mother of mercy, literally. She's the mother of mercy. Second, When tribulations of spirit and sufferings of the body oppress them, and they seem to be drowning in this bottomless sea, 
Let them gaze on my holy image, and I will always be there, ready to listen to their cries and soothe their pain. Tell them that they should always run to their mother with confidence and love. Also, we kind of know this in the back of our minds, but it's good to hear it every now and then. Run to your mother. So she requested, Our Lady herself requested, that a certain sculptor, Francesco del Castillo, who is known not only for his artistic ability, but also for his virtue and devotion to Our Lady, be the one to make the statue. So he worked uh, very long and hard on this statue, and when he was about to put the finishing coat of paint, he decided that the paint was inferior for such a beautiful statue, and he had to go get the best quality paint, which just happened to be in Spain. So now he has to take a boat from South America all the way across the ocean to Spain. Uh, so it took a long time, and in the process, uh, I guess Our Lady was getting... Um, wanted it to be completed sooner than him returning. So she had the archangels finish the statue. They finished painting it. I mean, just imagine that. And also, St. Francis showed up. And he took off his um, cincture, his cord at his waist, and he put it around the statue so that that would be the cord uh, on the statue. Now... If you were to see the statue today, you would notice that the face, is, the face of the mother of God, Mary, is different in the um, quality than the infant Jesus. Like, there's something supernatural about Mary's face, but not the baby Jesus's. Well, uh, what happened was that there was uh, another coup that happened in the country, and... Um, they were in a, such a hurry to hide uh, the statue. The, the statue of Jesus is, is separate from the statue of the mother, but they, she's holding it in her arms. It's actually two statues. And the, the nuns hid the statue of the baby, but then <clears throat> eventually they died. <clears throat> they died off and nobody knew where it was hidden. But she said in the latter days, the uh, statue of the baby Jesus would be found and reunited with the statue of, of her. Uh, so what what happened? These heavenly uh, archangels came, and, and they were they showed up with great brilliance and lit up the whole chapel. Uh, they bowed as in great reverence before the Blessed Trinity, in the church, and then they stood before the Queen of Heaven and they saluted her, and then they, along with Francis, they drew near to the statue and miraculously finished it. Uh, when it was done, the statue was bathed in a, a huge aura of light, brighter than the sun, and became animated as our uh, mother and queen entered into it, singing the Magnificat. Can you imagine? So Our Lady enters into the statue and starts singing the Magnificat. And it took place at 3 a.m. on January 16th, 1611. So another enormous miracle occurs. Uh, the bishop is informed about this. And uh, there was a novena prayed to Our Lady of Good Success beginning on January 24th and culminating on the Feast Day of Candlemas, which is February 2nd today, every year. And it continues up to this very day. Finally, 
this is what was said. The bishop uh, said these words, My lady, I deliver to thee the church. My lady and my mother, I deliver to thee my soul. Open to me the doors of heaven, for the life remaining in me is quite brief. Queen of heaven and earth, thou who dost remain in thy sanctuary, governing thy flock, do not forget thy poor children who are pilgrims on this earth, exposed to falls at every step. Let thy arms sustain us, and let the sweet love of thy maternal heart console us in our deep tribulations. So that's the prayer that the bishop composed um, when he entrusted her with the keys to the cloister and the crozier into her hands. Uh, and the, the promise was made true. That, that uh, convent has never been taken over by any uh, government authority, even though it's in the very, very posh part of uh, downtown in the city where the government would love to get their hands on the building, but it hasn't. God's protected it. So there were other um, interesting prophecies she made. Um, and I went through some of them yesterday about all the falling apart of the sacraments. Uh, so this is another one that was mentioned. She said... Um, There are those who consider hearing confession as a loss of time and a futile thing. Oh, alas, if priests were given to see directly that which you are now contemplating and were enlightened with the light that now illuminates you, they would rec then recognize this great gift. You know, I have to uh, be honest. It seems that in most churches, the 30 minutes of confession on Saturday evening or the, the hour on Saturday evening, I don't know how that's really enough time for a whole parish to go to confession. We know for sure it's not. Uh, and so the fact of the matter is this. The priests have stopped promoting confession. If you were promoting confession and the benefits received in the confessional and the value of keeping your soul clean, more people would go. But it has to be that people aren't, aren't being told this. Otherwise, they would be coming. Uh, Cardinal Sarah, who's a wonderful man, you know, he, I heard him give a talk once where he showed up, he travels around periodically and visits places to give talks. And I don't know what city he was in, I can't remember, but he was giving a talk uh, and he sat in the confessional like most of the afternoon on a Saturday and like two people came for the whole day. And when he was at mass uh, in the morning, he remarked how it's of course, if he's going to be there, people are going to show up. So there's probably you know thousands of people that come to hear him and go to his mass. And he said, um, "Look at all the people who've come. You must all be saints because nobody came to confession yesterday. Just two people. So he kind of recognizes there's a disconnect between who's coming to communion and who's going to confession. They should be the same number. They should be the same number, you know." Maybe slightly less if you go once a month instead of every week. But um, there's a problem there. Uh, yeah, our Lord also appeared to Mother Mariana, and he had some words of advice as well. This is what he said to her. For in all times I have need of valiant souls to save my church and the prevaricating world. 
he also made Mother Mariana understand more clearly that more than ever, that devotion to the Passion, to the Blessed Sacrament, and to Our Lady constitutes the support and mainstay of religious communities. So, devoting yourself to meditating on the Passion. There's a lot of ways to do that. I mean, um, there's the 24 hours that, uh, that's out there about the Passion. Um, you could just meditate on the Sorrowful Mysteries. Um, this is another quote. Know, moreover, that divine justice releases terrible chastisements on entire nations, not only for the sins of the people, but for those of priests and religious persons. For the latter are called, the priests and religious are called, by the perfection of their state to be the salt of the earth, the masters of truth, and the deflectors of divine wrath. Straying from their divine mission, they degrade themselves in such a way that before the eyes of God, they quicken the rigor of the punishments. Wow. Uh, there's also a notation by the, the person who wrote this article that during the 41 years of St. John Vianney's ministry at Ars France, uh, no damage was ever done by storms in the entire 41 years. So there seems to be some proof of um, when a holy priest is uh, located somewhere that not just the people of the church are, are given a blessing and protection, but the whole region. Now, the, the one very interesting prophecy, it's the last thing I can get to before we go, but um, there was uh, predicted that there would be... Um, In the 19th century, here's the prediction, there will be a truly Catholic president, a man of character whom God, our Lord, will give the palm of martyrdom on the square adjoining this convent. He will consecrate the Republic to the sacred heart of my most holy son, and this consecration will sustain the Catholic religion in the years that will follow, which will be ill-fated ones for the church. These years during which the evil sect of Masonry will take control of the civil government will see a cruel persecution of all religious communities, and they will also strike out violently against this one of mine. So this happened. It was, the man's name is Gabriel Garcia Morena, 1821 to 875 is when he lived, and he did indeed consecrate all of Ecuador, Ecuador to the Sacred Heart of Jesus in 1873. And he did die the death of a martyr. And his incorrupt heart and the famous painting of Our Lady of Quito can be seen in the Cathedral of Quito in Ecuador. So all these fulfillments, except the last one, the last one which has not yet been fulfilled is, she said, my immaculate heart will triumph. So pray for that. It's coming, and it can't, can't be coming too soon. We need you so desperately, Mother Mary, every day. We need you to come and restore souls back to your son. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Father Dan, signing off. 